It's another edition of Baseball and Beyond. I'm your podcast friend, Brad Strawinger, and I'm with my friend, Brian Jordan. Hi, Brian Jordan. Brad, how you doing, buddy? Always good to see you. Can I call you a friend? Yes, you can. Fantasy camp and beyond. <laughs> you are a fantasy camp veteran. Now, you're 0 for 2 against me. Two pop-ups. Golly, don't remind me, but I'm still mad at that. <laughs> we got to get back on the mound, but I, I am uh, interested. You you come back for all of those. I mean, it's, it seems like every time there's a fantasy camp, you're there. And to me, it's a great thing because I think you're one of the great players of that of that generation, that the 90s. We always kind of forget about that decade. There was some great baseball, but what brings you back to fantasy camp every year? Well, Brian, uh, this is where I started in St. Louis. They drafted me first round in 1988, and my heart bleeds red. Uh, I really enjoyed my time here. I wish I could have spent my whole career here. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, but every chance I get to support the Cardinals, uh, I jump at it, and I'm happy to be back today. I love talking about your career. When you think about a guy playing football and baseball and doing it at the highest of levels, you've told me the story a little bit about how you decided on baseball, but give me a little bit of backstory about you're playing football Cardinals call. I mean, you're playing for the Falcons. You're, I mean, you are with the Falcons. You are with the Dirty Birds. And uh, you decide to come to the Red Birds. You decide to change it up. Tell me a little bit about how tough that decision was. And, and, and football was so fun for you. And you were really good at it. Brad, it was probably the toughest decision ever in my life. And uh, you're right. Uh, I was having fun with the Falcons. I was really reaching my peak on the football field. I was an alternate in the Pro Bowl my third year. And uh, my career was taken off, but the Cardinals came calling, and uh, I felt like it was only fair for me to give them a true shot. I was just playing 30 minor league games, and I was preparing for football, and uh, they never really got a chance to truly see what baseball talent I had. And you know, when the Falcons didn't re-sign me right away, I knew, uh, you know, I'm a Christian, and maybe God is telling me to play baseball. And uh, you know, I had a family then, so that that was also in that decision. And uh, you know what? I have no regrets because I had a fantastic time here in St. Louis and a 15-year baseball career. I find that to be the, a huge gamble, though. I mean, to be to know at that age, I got this NFL career. I'm already doing it. I'm on uh, NFL prime time, and I'm going to do the baseball. I, I, what was in your mindset? The gamble that you—I mean, did how how hard was that decision? Well, Brad, I graduated from University of Richmond, so you know it was a smart choice to make because. You know, I was among the leaders in tackles every year with the Falcons and around the league. So, I, you know, my body was really feeling it. And I knew if I wanted to play baseball, I couldn't continue to beat up my shoulders and, and, and truly give that a shot. You know, it wasn't like my man Deion Sanders who wasn't tackling nobody. He was picking it off and scoring touchdowns. But I was, I was really hitting guys and uh, in a big collision every game. So the concussions were, were a huge thing. Well, not back then, but I'm glad I got out when I did. Uh, but it really worked out. I, I believed in my talents on the baseball field, and I wanted to show that to St. Louis, and uh, I did just that. And uh, like I said, it turned into 15 years, six with the Cardinals at the big league level, which I, I was hoping to spend my whole career here, to be honest, Brad. But, you know, unfortunately, Walt Jockety and Tony La Russa said I played the game too hard, and they, they didn't want to invest that type of money in, in a risk uh, as far as an injury. So, you know, they kind of rained on my dreams and parade, but, you know, it all worked out for me. Who plays too hard? I mean, who who could That's say that? That's what I'm saying, Brad. Come on. I've never heard that in my life. But, you know, they had their reasons, so it's business. 
you kind of had the struggle early on. I remember the curveball was a rough pitch for a young Brian Jordan to uh, to master. When you're going through that up at the major league level, because you seem like you kind of ran through the system real fast, and you, I think you even told me uh, back in, in Florida that you had a major league contract while you were in the minor leagues, right? Or they, how did that work? And and just tell me about that that struggle, thinking, holy, maybe I can't hit a curveball, and this will never work. You know, it was amazing because uh, I look back. And Ted Simmons was the general manager that year. And I just played down in Little Rock, Arkansas, Double A. And we had spring training, and he was going to send me to back to Little Rock. And I said, no way I'm going back to Little Rock. And Ted and I went back and forth, and he said, look, I'm going to send you to Triple A. And in the first week, if you suck, I'm sending you back to A-ball. And I said, look, I'll take the chance. I'm, I know I'm going to be okay. And I, you know what? I stopped through Atlanta on my way to Louisville. And Ted Simmons calls me and says, Andres Galarraga got hurt. You're flying to St. Louis. It was an unbelievable turn of events and experience in my life. And, uh, you know, I got off to a great start. I mean, pitchers didn't know who Brian Jordan was. They thought they could throw the fastball by me, and that was my best pitch at the time. Unfortunately, Doug Drebeck figured out he can't hit a curveball. And, uh, you know what, that's all a part of the learning. You know, they sent me down. Uh, I woke up every morning just seeing curveballs, and that became my best pitch to hit. You did rake. I want to talk about 96. I, I just love that team. I think it's always interesting because you guys in 95 did not look good. The pitching was terrible. You guys get rid of the whole front office. The manager comes in. It's Tony, the Oakland guys, and you're still kind of one of the leftovers. Ozzy's is one of the leftovers. Uh, Mabry's one of the leftovers. Pags is one. Of, but they bring in Carney Lansford and Mike Gallego and Rick Honeycutt and Dennis Eckersley. And, and just talk about that struggle early on. I, I think it's amazing because we know what happened at the end of that year. Yeah, you know, it was a tough transition. You know, Tony LaRusso, I respect him unbelievably. And uh, at the time, though, when you, you're used to playing a certain way and, and he comes in and instills all different rules and changes everything, you know, it was difficult at first. It was difficult for the players. And, uh, you know, I give Tony a lot of credit. He had to make some tough decisions early, which the players who kind of hung around didn't like. You know, when you don't start Ozzy opening day, that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And so it took time that season before we started trusting Tony LaRusso. Now, I, I believe it took almost half the season when Pat Ozzy finally called a meeting and we said, look, let's turn this thing around and we win for, for ourselves. And uh, you know what? It was a great story. You know, Tony got his way, we got our way, and, you know, like I said, I, I respect Tony and he went on to have a great tradition here and uh, I wish I could have been a part of it in the winning ways, but you know what? It was a great... 96 season for us. I think about that too, the fact that he's talked about how difficult it was for him because, you know, he comes in guns ablaze and I'm Tony LaRusso, I got the mullet, and George Wills called me a genius. But uh, uh, you guys changed him. And But I do think the one thing that still bothers everyone in St. Louis is him and Ozzy still get along. And I, I know it's got to be, I've talked to Willie McGee about this. Just tell me about what you see with these two and is there any way we could ever. I mean, this would be like <laughs> Arafat and Gorbachev getting right. together. You know, I mean, is there any way we get these two together? You know what? It's about the respect that I think both of them have, and it's that ego. And sometimes you got to have an ego to be great. And both of those guys are great guys at what they have done, you know, as a manager, as a player. And it was just such a traumatic, dramatic, whatever uh, situation where I don't think it, they can forgive each other. And uh, 
it's a shame because we we preach forgiving as Christians and uh, but it's a tough situation. I wish they could come together and talk about it and, and get over it because I think St. Louis is missing out on something special. Ninety-six. I think you've told me a story about Wrigley and uh, meeting the wall. Right? Is this correct? And it, the wall is is it's ivy, so it should be nice and padded. Not so, right? Tell me a little bit about that day at Wrigley. Not so. I, one of the greatest rivalries of all time, the Cardinals and the Cubs, and I, I love playing in those situations where you know the fans are screaming at you the whole game, and you know I'm one of those guys that's gonna lay it on the line. And I remember a ball was hit right to the wall. If not, it's gonna be a home run or a double, triple change the whole game. And uh, I ran straight into the wall, full speed. And this I is think, why Tony and Walt didn't sign you, by the exactly, way, Mr. Run Through a Wall. Exactly. And you know what? When I hit that wall, it didn't move, <laughs> and all the ivy of my body fell on top of me, and uh, along with everybody throwing money, throwing glasses at me, and uh, calling me all kinds of names. And I remember Joe Torrey ran out there, and he said, look, come on out of the game. You know, I said, Joe, just let me lay here for about two minutes. I'm not leaving this game. And uh, I remember... I, I stayed in that game, and I caught the last out of the game for a Cardinal win, and I looked back at those fans, and Brad, I can't tell you what I did, but man, I got them back in the end. <laughs> a lot of, that, that wall's been there 100 years. It's winning, right? It wins. It wins, man. I'll tell you, that's, you know what? I love playing there. I, you know, I wish they finally upgraded the clubhouses, which to me was they had to do. It was long overdue, but uh, now I rank that up as one of the top stadiums, you know, even with the newer stadiums. I also think the time you went there, this is one of my other favorite stories you've told, and seventh inning stretch comes along, and you're like, what? What's going on here? Oh, no, <laughs> come on, Brad. No, we don't have to, but this is a, this is a good one. <laughs> yeah, that's my, my Harry Curry story. Uh, you know, again, I played in the NFL. You know, that was my top sport, so I, I didn't learn – you know, probably the announcers and uh, the great host uh, all around baseball. And uh, I remember in the seventh inning stretch, the Cubs Cardinal game here at Bush Stadium. And I'm looking up and I'm seeing this guy with big glasses out there screaming and yelling and everybody looking at him. And Ozzy looked at me and said, BJ, what are they looking at? And I said, some guy with big glasses is singing. And the whole dugout got silent and looked at me and said, do you mean Harry Curry? And I said, I don't know who this guy is. And, man, that was a big mistake for me. Uh, they brought Harry Curry down into the clubhouse and really embarrassed me. Uh, it was a long night for me. But after that, I learned every great announcer around baseball. <laughs> yeah, you know Vin Scully now. Yes, uh, yes, I do. Last thing on 96 I wanted to ask you is we, we've, we've mentioned this a lot. I mean, that, like I said, the team comes together. You get to the playoffs. You're one win away from the World Series and the, the mighty threesome, the three-headed monster. But you still think Game 7, I remember you told me this, if Ron Gant doesn't dive, eh, maybe. There's so many things that happened in that last three games, but I remember the, the thing you told me about Gant's dive because that was a, a three-run triple. And yeah, it made it six to Tom nothing in the Glavin, first. of all people, Tom Glavin, bases loaded. And, you know, it's early in the game. And, of course, we had young Donovan Osborne on the mound, so... For me, the biggest thing you can't do is give up a big inning early. And, uh, you know, I know Ron gave it his all great effort, uh, but he made the dive and he missed. I came running from center field to try to back him up. And, uh, 
that's kind of the way the game started, you know, in the bottom of the first inning. You know, Donovan struggled bad, but we gave up that big inning. And, uh, you know, I think if we didn't, we may have had a chance to beat Glavin. You know, Glavin's one of the great pitchers of all time, a Hall of Famer. But I really felt like we could have had success off of him. But once he got the momentum, got that big beat, you know, I thought it was over early. It was a special season. Last thing, kind of wrapping up, I appreciate your time, Brian. You have charity here. We'll talk about your charity in a second. But you were here for the McGuire days, too. And for Cardinal fans, they always think about winning baseball, but this was the one rare opportunity where fans stayed in the seats. They got here early to watch batting practice. Give me everything that went on with you. I believe you hit after him most nights, or you were Ray or one of you guys. And uh, just give me everything, how fun that was, because it was – I mean, just talk about when you guys got into New York and you had to sneak them in through kitchens and stuff. Yeah, you know, it was an amazing experience to you know for a great guy. Uh, you know, it's different if you get an arrogant guy. You know, you really don't care about. But Mark McGuire was one of the most humble guys, and he was a great teammate. And he always looked out for his teammates through this whole home run scenario. And you know, it was it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of pressure hitting behind him, though. You know, early on in the season. Hack it. If they would walk him every time if you didn't perform behind him. So I knew, man, I better step up if Mark McGuire was going to have a good year or Ray Langford. Uh, we both stepped up to the plate and uh, he got some pitches to hit and it was just fun to watch. I, I teased Mark though. I said, I could have had 100 RBIs if he wasn't hitting in front of me, man. But you know what? You know, to me, that year was magical. Uh, the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, it brought baseball back on the map. And, you know, I remember Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox did the old chicks dig the long ball. And, and the home run was in. And, uh, you know, every stadium was filled in batting practice. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. But I've never seen anything like Mark McGuire hitting blasts like he did. I remember in Arizona, Brad, you know, when a Nike sign opens up in center field, he hit one out of the stadium. And the fans are cheering. And then I had to go in and hit after them. <laughs> and they start booing me in batting practice. I was like, what is going on, man? But, you know, it was great, man. It was a terrific year for everybody, and especially for the fans here in St. Louis. I don't care what the era was or what they called it. It was fun baseball, and I miss it, and I want it to come back. I'm going to be honest. And just right. I want it to come back. Uh, we're, we're so glad to have you back. And you're doing charity stuff. You're writing books. Just tell us what Brian Jordan, and you do TV, of course, because you're – Brian Jordan, of course. <laughs> you do it all. But just tell us a little bit about what's going on with you right now. Through my uh, Brian Jordan Foundation, I write children's books. Uh, we give scholarships. Uh, I promote health and fitness where I do free camps for kids, where we give backpack school supplies to the underprivileged. And, uh, you know, uh, Colin C., who was one of the fantasy campers, he actually bought the suite at an auction. And we got together and he said, hey, how can we make it worth these kids to be able to come to a Cardinal game and for me to donate children's books, talk to the kids, and really try to get them to have hope and know that if they believe in themselves, they can be successful. So we got together and we decided to do it, and uh, that's why I'm here in St. Louis. Uh, I love doing charity work, not just in Atlanta, but you know my journey in life is going to be around the country. So uh, I'm just glad that St. Louis embraced it, and uh, it's always fun to come back. Yeah, I was telling your friend, George Edis, who's with your uh, charity, that I met you when I was 16, 17. I was doing a public access show, and I, sh I actually showed this to you, and I was frightened of you. I thought you were going to be super mean. You had these bulging muscles, and I found out you're one of the nicest guys. So I really do appreciate it. We went longer than I said I would, but you're going to have fun here tonight. I appreciate it. It's always good to see you. And 
maybe this winter you'll get a hit off me. I, you know, you're over two. I will be working out hard, <laughs> and I hope I face. I hope you're not on my team so I can face you, buddy. But great job, man, throwing those slow pitches. <laughs> Brian Jordan on baseball and beyond. We appreciate his time. We hope you enjoyed it. Follow us on Twitter and follow all the podcasts. See who we're doing next on iTunes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>